When one thinks through the important industry applications of artificial intelligence, law or legal applications is not usually first to come to mind, but there's certainly a need in that industry. In this episode of the Tech Emergence Podcast, we interview Dr. Richard Down, who received his PhD in electrical engineering at the University of Iowa and is now VP of Data Science at Case Text, a company working on improving search and natural language processing and democratizing legal information. Uh, Richard speaks with us around where the current bottlenecks are for uh, people to get more out of legal information, freeing up more legal information with easier search, as well as some of the applications that they're working on at Case Text to make these processes uh, easier and to hopefully gain a, gain a strategic advantage in that particular industry. Certainly an industry we don't look very much at, uh, but when I heard Richard speak at a Hackers.ai conference in San Francisco, I thought it'd be worth bringing him on the program, and I think this was a fun episode. So hopefully you guys enjoy this one. This is Richard Down with Case Text. Uh, so Richard, today I wanted to be able to get into what you folks are working on with natural language processing in the legal world, but I figure it might be a bit out of context if we don't talk about what the limitations are for search and understanding in the legal space. Obviously, probably a little bit far back in the times in terms of still being paper-based. Um, what do you see as sort of the biggest uh, challenges right now in the legal space in terms of people understanding the connections between documents, the meaning of documents, uh, and, and sort of search in general? So, truthfully, there are two um, reasonably well put together, but very expensive services out there that we are uh, working on competing against. Westlaw and LexisNexis are the two dominant players. They do have search engines. Lawyers do depend upon them. Uh, Google Scholar is available. It's free. We um, actually are just in the process of adding uh, premium paid services to our platform, but the, the basic search engine is free. Yep. Um, Really, the biggest challenge is access to the law. The law cannot be copyrighted by law, but access to it is difficult to come by. And so the, kind of our first cornerstone of our business was just sort of uh, democratizing access to the law in the first place. One thing that comes about with that is, unlike uh, larger competitors, we don't have a large editorial staff. And so a lot of these connections that you, you can have human editors draw on paper, we have to develop technology to do that. And uh, And so that's really been the big thing is finding a way to achieve sort of the scope and depth of analysis that you can do with a large team of editors using only software. Got it. Okay. So, uh, you know, starting with a, a smaller, leaner team, again, you guys don't have uh, 40, 50, 100 people banging away uh, between various cases and finding connections they're in and going into them manually. You're having to do that uh, with programs. Um, obviously, we're working with, you know, not just finding sentiment analysis of of someone's, you know, last five tweets, uh, but we're talking about, you know, 100-page documents sometimes, 50-page documents sometimes, and to be able to figure out, does this have to do with substance abuse? Does this have to do with a racial concern? Is this related to this other case? Um, you know, who won? Uh, to be able to tease all that out via, um, via machine learning or, or other sort of data science methods seems like quite a challenge. How sort of in, in layman's terms are you guys working on this today? One thing that benefits us enormously is that legal language tends to be very formulaic. So at the very base level, figuring out which documents talk about other documents is straightforward. There are uh, standard citation formats that lawyers everywhere use, and that gives you a lot of information to begin with. Uh, titles and uh, 
when they are when a citation doesn't exist for a case and somebody issues a reference to it, they typically include the title, the docket, and the date of the decision all together in one little clause, which generally contains enough information and also the jurisdiction. And this this set of kind of um, sort of atoms gives you enough to um, figure out to sort of disambiguate the cross reference and figure out what's being talked about. So at that base level, we're able to build the graph up fairly easily in a way that we couldn't if you didn't have these very firm, standardized ways of talking about other cases. Um, in terms of figuring out how they discuss each other, that is, as yet, I think, something we can call an unsolved problem. Uh, sentiment analysis has been you know, getting much, much better over the last few years. I don't think anyone in the legal space has mastered uh, automatically figuring out how one case describes another. And we actually, for the moment, have been crowdsourcing that um, but the, the ability to present to a user how a case describes another case is extremely important, and that is definitely something that we are, uh, you know, going to be approaching in the coming years in earnest. Uh, and, you know, with machine learning techniques are going to be a necessary part of the, uh, the tool set to be able to figure out that, you know, this particular type of language looks similar to this other particular type of language. Yeah, so that, that's something that as of now, as you'd mentioned, you're crowdsourcing that. Um, it, it seems as though there is... A, a bit of impetus in this sort of man plus machine, you know, across the board in many regards. I mean, I, I don't know everything about what Facebook is doing with their messenger, and I don't know if anybody outside of Facebook does, but uh, I know they're looking to sort of combine the two forces in some way, shape, or form, have people in the background manually doing some things in addition to having uh, the machine do some things. Same thing with, you know, companies like X.ai. They're working on booking appointments. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, they've been a solid combination of and artificial intelligence, and people going in there and doing stuff. And then the machine can take this quote-unquote proper answer from the human and maybe blend that into uh, its future decision-making moving forward. It sounds like that would be the goal for you folks as well, to, to be able to have a machine do this on its own. Have you thought about how you'd eventually crack that with enough citations from these crowdsourced folks? Will that be possible with today's technology? Well, so one, I think, important sanity check for any type of machine learning problem is uh, if a person can't tell the difference between two things, then you're never going to be able to teach a computer to do so. So for anything that you want to be able to use machine learning for, you need to make sure that you, looking at the problem, feel like you can solve it manually. And once you can do that, uh, you can start to think about it. With a lot of these things, uh, with the, the nature of um, treatment is what they call it, with the how cases treat each other, there is a certain amount of disagreement amongst practitioners. You will find that uh, if you compare Westlaw and LexisNexis, the only uh, two really comprehensive databases on treatment that exist, there's a lot of disagreement throughout them. So this is where crowdsourcing, the old, uh, the old cliche about wisdom of crowds, could yep. come in and be yep. very useful. If we you know, get a large number of opinions, um, I think what you can begin to do is use machine learning to kind of find the emergent consensus and come up with a more trustworthy answer than you would get from just using one set of editors versus another set of editors. Yeah, where answers are in fact gray and where even by definition it could still sort of go both ways. Right, and then you can say, you know, we believe this one is kind of murky. You can put a confidence number on it. Um, I mean, if you are able, if you have a large amount of, of human-supplied data and you can start to kind of uh, provide a, a level of, you know, a statistic describing how sure you are about something. That's something that humans are not very good at. We're good at kind of subjectively saying, you know, I'm sure or I'm not sure, but we're absolutely terrible at putting a number on it. Uh, yep. we, I can't, I can't tell you one level of uncertainty versus another in any objective way that you could make use of. Terrible. Yep.
Um, so, so what you're saying is you guys might be able to, if there was some gray, be able to, to sort of have confidence levels amidst that gray so that it wouldn't be sort of, you know, something that could have been 50-50 that people take as just as serious a citation or a treatment as another case, which might be much more straightforward. Right. And of course, how you present it to the user is going to depend on a lot of things. But rather, you know, what you might say is, you know, internally that the confidence is shaky. What you might say to the user is, we advise that you actually read this opinion for yourself because, you know, it's the, um, the actual nature of the treatment is indecisive. And then the, the practitioner can go and read it and make a decision for how they want to present it. So there are some that are really, really unambiguous. Um, the, with some extractive summarization, we've been able to have great success with among really big, you know, landmark Supreme Court cases at the very top of the page, we can show, um, other judges summarizing the opinions, and it's, it's frequently very decisive. With you know things like Brown v. Board of Education, there's no ambiguity there. It strikes down um, the separate but equal doctrine. It, it lays out a new kind of paradigm in how uh, the civil rights movement was to proceed. And any you know that's the kind of thing that you, we can teach a machine to figure out. But I think the more interesting thing is being able to say you know this one you really you really need to go read it. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, letting people sort of see a treatment as a treatment, if, if that if that's supposed to be, or if, if there's very little question here, maybe we don't want to red flag it. But if this is something that really was a judgment call and by almost any standard is very tough to pin down, then actively flagging that, encouraging that, and saying, hey, the confidence level here was only X, and we recommend that you actually do some digging on this. Right. And you know, one thing that I don't even know if is possible might actually be fun to approach. Um, often what you'll have on the more nuanced ones is they'll uh, strike down a little piece of a prior decision. And so to do this effectively, you can't just be passing judgment on the entire previous opinion. What you have to now do is kind of segment it out into, you know, what chunks of this opinion are the actual findings. And then you have to be able to say, well, okay, so this other case crosses out this one finding but supports the other ones. And that, I don't think to date, anybody really is presenting that information very well. On the, the big guys, they have kind of a color-coded system, like a yellow, red, green stoplight for proceed, halt, or maybe read more. But if you were able to kind of break out the findings in detail and describe the kind of the flow of the law, I mean, these are things that that are ambitious, and I don't know to what degree we're actually going to be able to solve them, but I think that this is sort of where, if you know, I'd like to see the future hold this type of thing is part of what we can do. Yeah, and I think that those, those uh, you know, the, the vagaries held in, you know, what part of this opinion or conclusion was, you know, referenced or accepted here as well, we're talking about a lot of contextual understanding that would have to go into that, and, and a lot of concept juggling, which automatically gets sort of gray. But I think um, obviously part of the, the job that you folks have and that really anybody aiming to uh, refine search uh, across any field has to do is, is make these things more intuitive, make them uh, or make these systems more intuitive, smarter, able to sort of parse out concepts in the same way that a person would. One important job that, uh, to the best of my knowledge, um, you're a large part of over there at Case Text has to do with um, how quickly we can glean the major sort of takeaways, for lack of better terms, from a particular case. Summarization, right? Some of these cases, you know, whether you mention your, your you know, your Brown v. v uh, uh, Board of Education and whatnot, um, are, are 
rather large. And, and you know, if, if you uh, try to read it, you know, before breakfast, you may or may not sort of get through or you may not be able to understand it all that well. To be able to put that succinctly in a set of paragraphs where someone could kind of drink it in and get a gist as to whether they should read deeper or not or whether this is related or not, that's got to be just a tremendous amount of the time wasted for the paralegals of the world, right? Is sort of that manual, uh, just foot-dragging work of figuring out is this related or not. How do you summarize a legal text uh, with, with any degree of confidence? How are you folks approaching that question, which is obviously a big time saver and sort of value driver in your space? The summarization so far has actually proven to be a, a uh, something we've had good success with. Uh, so when one judge cites another case, they almost always include a couple sentences summarizing the finding of that other case. And so what we actually do, what we present at the top of the page when you go to a case, is uh, we present sort of the top 25 summaries from other cases of the finding of this case. And they are, in fact, remarkably accurate. Where we're going to have a problem is on the, the long tail of cases that are not heavily cited. And yes. so the flow here um, would be probably to... Uh, use the extractive summarization where there's good data, and then probably try to use some more generative uh, summarization on the long tail. And that is going to be harder. The biggest problem with sort of machine-generated summaries is they tend not to be the most fun to read. Computers are still not as good at stringing words together as people in a way that makes them, you know, enjoyable to read. Yep, and, yep. Um, but there does come a point for really obscure, you know, district court cases. If you want to be able to provide a summary, the important part is providing an accurate one, not providing a fun to read one. Yes, yes. I was going to say, I mean, I, I think fun, ideally you would want the best, you know, we could say, you know, user experience, right? You'd want it to, to read well and to roll off the tongue in some, you know, ideal fashion. Uh, you know, it doesn't have to be poetry, but, but have, it, have it read very well. Like maybe a judge, if they're summarizing a case, it probably, you know, I mean, they're, they're, they're familiar with legal language, but they also know how to write, know how to write in a way that's, potentially pleasing or easy to understand, machines may be less so. So for you folks, in terms of summarizing cases, one way is understanding, assessing, and then sort of maybe gleaning or pulling together uh, what appears to be sort of the core points from what these judges have said. In cases where you do have active citations of that kind, is it is it the case that you're able to sort of amalgamate uh, the other summarizations from judges? Is that the approach for the well-cited ones? For the well-cited ones, there's some very formulaic language that you can latch onto, where they kind of where the summary can be found in usually in close proximity to the citation itself. Um, for the ones that are not heavily cited, there's also some some fairly distinct patterns used in the language where the judge lays out their actual finding, and so um, to a certain degree, you can search for these things, um, and, and, and to some extent. Uh, it's fairly easy to find where these things are located in the text. Uh, the more difficult thing is, of course, figuring out exactly where to cut it, right? Yep. Uh, the, uh, um, if I know that the sum of the finding is contained within two particular paragraphs, and I wanted to fill it down to two or three sentences to present to somebody, that's going to be the more difficult thing. But yeah. I, I, it's, I believe it's completely doable, um, and that will be you know, one of the challenges that we are, will have to address. Yeah, yeah, that that uh, it certainly is. And I mean, it's obviously a challenge outside of the legal world as well. Summarizing any kinds of findings, whether we're talking about research, uh, the the research world, and you know, medical or otherwise, whether we're talking about legal, uh, even even a business, you know, if if they if they'd like to get out maybe the the findings from some assessment of their own marketing activities, maybe not everybody wants to read 
X number of hundreds of pages or look at all those slides, but maybe they would want to pass along something to entry-level marketing folks to let them know kind of where we are today and not have to have somebody read the whole thing and summarize it. That job is a, a, a bigger job than, than even the legal domain, of, although, of course, there's a lot of value in that uh, for you guys. It, how do you see that nut getting cracked in the future? This, this whole idea of being able to parse out those concepts, figure out how to take two paragraphs and put it into two sentences. You know, in legal, there's some formulaic language, so maybe we can start in legal where hopefully you guys have a bit of an edge. How, how in those long tail where you don't have nice, succinct summaries, in, in the coming, however, you know, two to five years, what have you, do you think you guys will be able to sort of crack at it? You know, what, what sorts of approaches do you feel confident might be able to get us to that point of, of much better sort of summarized uh, and swift search? I mean, and so I, I, as far as, you know, good summaries, I'm not actually sure how we would approach that problem in an automated fashion. I have not spent a lot of time uh, working with generative summarization techniques. As far as search, uh, there's a little bit more that can be done there. Um, the, the techniques like latent semantic analysis, uh, while they don't necessarily provide, you know, meaningful topics from the human point of view, they do provide a great metric for similarity. And so techniques like that can be factored into um, studying the query the user types in. So um, one thing that Google has done a fantastic job of is when you type in a search query, um, they don't just run a keyword search. They look at the words that you type. They looked at the relationship between the words you type in what order you type them at your prior history of search. And they're able to figure out um, sort of expansions upon your initial query and how to kind of winnow the field and also how to add extra things in that aren't explicitly what you typed. And while we have, you know, have obviously we're not going after general search in the vein of Google, but some of the techniques that they, you know, that um, have worked well for large scale search engines like that can be applied on a much smaller scale uh, with something that's very domain specific where we're able to kind of look at legal concepts and things that we can you know, find inside of a query and use that to infer what somebody might be looking for. So patent law, somebody is searching in patent law and they type something like uh, obviousness into a query. Um, rather than just going doing keyword search for obviousness, now we might want to emphasize things that we know are likely to be relevant based upon the meaning of that word in a specific subdomain of law. Yeah, and, and, and uh, that may at least from the get-go involve... Um a decent amount of sort of human parsing or, or in some way feeding the machine with what meaning is of words, right? I guess definitions, examples, things along those lines. Well, fortunately, half of our company is ex-litigators, so we have no shortage of legal expertise Thank goodness. Uh, in terms of coming up with that sort of domain. I mean, that's actually, I think, a huge asset is uh, I like working with these guys. Uh, I came into this uh, with no legal background. Um, I had, you know, done a variety of different things in the technical field. I did my graduate work in, in medicine, uh, and I came into this, and from working with these ex-lawyers, I was able to learn a ton about what different concepts mean. And so that has been able to fuel sort of being able to where you need to encode domain-specific stuff. I've had that resource available, and that's been really very helpful. Yep, and, and I can imagine that that contextual knowledge, at least at this point, um, would be literally required in order to get the job done well. Hopefully... Uh, will will help you folks in in the the other sort of future search challenges that you're sort of embarking upon uh, today. And anything of of uh, particular import that you're excited about working on moving forward? Things that you're working on now as we come to close uh, that you think maybe you guys will see some traction on and that the audience might dig. So we we do have a new product that uh, we are in the process of launching that. Uh, 
given a uh, a brief that a user has uploaded, we uh, are able to find the uh, the most relevant cases that are not explicitly cited in your brief. I think this is going to be a very powerful and useful research tool, and I'm oh, okay. really excited about uh, how this may change the nature of the uh, field of illegal research going forward. Yeah, paralegals can just like go to sleep or or uh, you know get lunch or something instead of staying in the library. So you're talking about just <laughs> reading reading uh, by 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 some degree of context which cases are relevant to this one through, I imagine, um, just some, some, some sort of natural language processing. Yeah, I mean, it's a, uh, it's, there's a variety of things that you're able to look at, but it's, uh, it's amazing just um, how much information you're able to extract just from which cases talk about each other and how they talk about it. Cool, very good. Well, either way, Richard, that's literally all that we have for time, but I appreciate you sharing your insights and some of the things that you guys are working on with us here at the Tech Emergence Podcast. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dan. Well, that wraps up today's episode here on the Tech Emergence Podcast, and thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to stay in touch with our latest interviews with C-level executives, top researchers, and thinkers in the domains of AI and the intersection of technology and intelligence, then make sure to subscribe here on iTunes. Or visit us on our main website at techemergence.com, where you can see all of our interviews broken down by category, as well as articles, news, market research, and trends in artificial intelligence. If you found this episode particularly thought-provoking, feel free to leave your thoughts in a review here on iTunes, or you can feel free to reach out to us at our main website. Thanks, as always, for tuning in, and I'll catch you next week.